Welcome to The Deciders with Renee Frazier. This is Renee Frazier, the founder and CEO of Frazier Communications. We're the largest woman-led and woman-owned advertising and marketing firm in Southern California. At Frazier, we specialize in changing behaviors, growing brands, and having a positive impact on society. That includes the advertising you see and hear and see on digital and social media for talk, read, sing. It changes everything. Letting parents know the importance of talking and singing and reading very early to children to enhance their brain development and close that achievement gap. And very recently, you're seeing social media and messaging from Dr. Barbara Ferrer, L.A. County's Department of Public Health Director. And we are guiding and working with their team on communications as we maneuver through COVID-19 and do PSAs to help people practice the safety behaviors we know are going to help to diminish and mitigate the effects of COVID-19. But the deciders is really about decision making and about information, how we can build and strengthen our businesses, knowing what's going on in the community. Now we are all facing the election coming and just days away, we know millions of people have already cast their votes What are the pollsters saying and predicting for the November 3rd election? We're going to talk about that today. Before we do, I wanted to talk about and underscore the importance of social media. There was a recent poll conducted by Pew in September of this year asking people about political advertising on social media. 54% of Americans said they felt social media should not allow political advertising. So just over half. However, an even larger number, 77%, felt that data should not be used to selectively identify what kind of political advertising and political campaign ads they should see. Now, spoiler alert, I've told you that as running an advertising and marketing firm, that data is used all the time to push information to you that we know is most relevant. And of course, they're doing that with political ads. Let's talk today, though, about what that means to people and how people's attitudes or behaviors are changing or not. Our guest today is Jeff Horwitt. Jeff is Senior Vice President at Heart Research Associates in Washington, D.C., They frequently conduct a national survey on a regular basis for NBC News and the Wall Street Journal, discovering what Americans think about current social, political and economic issues. As we get very close to Election Day, all eyes are on some very close races, including the president's. Jeff, let's talk about the national polls. First of all, welcome to the deciders. Great to be back. Thank you, Renee. Happy to have you on. I'd like to talk about what the national polls are telling us about the presidential race. Well, uh, the national polls are telling us pretty clearly that this is Joe Biden's race to win uh, at at this stage. Uh, In our most recent uh, NBC Washington Journal poll, which we conduct with our Republican partners, Public Opinion Strategies, we're showing an 11 point advantage for former Vice President Biden over Donald Trump, 53 to 42. And, uh, you know, the overall numbers uh, point to a, a difficult road ahead for, for the incumbent. It's never going to be in the low 40s this close to Election Day. And in fact, the challenger is above 50 percent. So those are going to we've had a stable result over the course of this year. And these numbers this close to the election point to, um, you know, I, I think uh, the win is definitely at Joe Biden's back. Now, we know in 2016, it looked like the numbers were indicating that Hillary Clinton was going to win. And then with the Electoral College, she did not. Have you accounted for that? So, sure. So that's a great point. And as you said, uh, Electoral College versus national vote. 
Uh, she did win the national vote, uh, and that's what national polling showed. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, that race was, was, was different. It was a different year. Uh, there was more fluctuation in the vote over the, over the, the polls over the course of the year. Uh, there were, were October surprises, including the Comey letters. But what this is, is that was more referendum on the Obama years and on Hillary Clinton. This year, we have an incumbent in Donald Trump who voters have formed an opinion on. And again, he's in the low 40s. That's a real challenge for him. The other thing that is fundamentally different is that uh, Joe Biden has improved his standing over the course of the year in terms of his personal ratings. So uh, in our July poll, he, his, he was viewed net negative personally by 12 points. In August, he cut that down to minus six points. Uh, and then minus two in our, in our last two tracks in, in late September and early, in mid-October, he's actually been positive on his, on his personal ratings, while Donald Trump is still net negative, uh, double digits, 53 negative, 42 percent positive. Uh, so Biden has really improved in terms of people's feelings about him. And you can see that in the way he's presented himself. I think it was an interesting strategy for him to be very quiet. Uh, you know, Trump talks about him being in the basement. But when all of us were hunkered down, so was he. And uh, and now to methodically uh, build up his image through the debates and also through his presence. Uh, you know, I'm curious about uh, Donald Trump's job rating. I know that has hovered around 42, 43, 44 percent. Are you still seeing that? It, we are. Uh, and, you know, it is one of these things where over the course of his presidency, he has not reached a 50 percent job rating in our poll and in many polls. And so traditionally what happens is uh, when you get to Election Day, uh, the president's job rating tracks very closely with their share of the vote. So the fact that he is in our most recent polls at 44 percent job rating uh, and he's getting 42 percent of the vote, that's consistent with what we normally find. And that's a real problem for for a president seeking re-election. It is. It is. And uh, I think uh, the COVID-19 situation obviously created a whole different backdrop. The economy had been strong and now, of course, it's struggling. What can you tell us about the perceptions of how Trump has handled COVID-19 and what they might expect from Biden? Well, uh, the, the, the verdict on how Trump uh, has handled uh, COVID-19, is, it's, a, it's, a, it's a negative verdict. It's a verdict against uh, what, what, what he's done. Uh, we have, uh, you know, continue to have three in five voters saying that he didn't take things seriously from the beginning. Uh, his you know, majorities are disapproving of the job that he's doing now. They believe he's handling it well now. And, uh, you know, when you look at just the basic health measures like wearing a mask or how he's handled things personally uh, and taking unnecessary risks, uh, voters really are, are saying, are rejecting uh, how he's handled this and, and are looking for a different approach. And uh, so I think you're much more in tune with what where, where, where Joe Biden wants to take the country and I think COVID-19 is just one aspect of this, but it also comes down to just trying to have having a sense of togetherness, unity, shared sacrifice, and that we're all in this together, which uh, Donald Trump has not uh, been able to um, to do in, in, in any in any meaningful way on this and other issues like social justice, for example. Right. You know, what's interesting, I think, is that uh, we know that the uh, Trump and the Republican parties are polling and doing focus groups on messaging all the time. And it seems very clear that people want him to 
model the right behavior with masks and and they, they see the same data. So they know that, in fact, this is uh, something that the majority of people want. Yet they have uh, adamantly maintained their uh, uh, position that masks are not necessary and that it's an individual decision. Your thoughts about why that's the case, despite the numbers? Well, I think, look, we'll see what happens on Election Day. But I think certainly from a public policy, public health point of view, it's a huge mistake. And it's costing people uh, people's lives. And we talk about people not being able to be in school and other things. There's the countless ways that this is impacting people. And from a political standpoint, I think it's a, mis- a huge miscalculation on their part. And uh, the vast majority of people uh, wear masks, believe we should be wearing masks. And, you know, I think part of this, it may be, not a, from the strategist's point of view, it may be his personal view that wearing masks or trying to uh, do more social distancing is a sign of weakness in some way that may not resonate with his base. But uh, I think it's a profound miscalculation. Well, I, I would agree with you. As I mentioned at the outset of the show, we're working closely with the Department of Public Health and uh, Health Services with regard to the messaging to keep people safe. And um, it's, it's, it's the idea that we're all in this together and we impact others with our own behavior. It's disappointing when the messaging is so inconsistent at the federal level. Uh, I think that uh, the election in some ways will be a um, referendum on how people feel about that. Needless to say, people want the economy to come back and that's important, but you can wear masks and social distance and still be uh, spending your money and out and about and doing business. And that's, of course, what most local public health uh, organizations are doing. Have you been keeping track of uh, how people feel about the economy as well and how they're relating to the COVID-19 restrictions? We have. And I think there's a desire, you know, what people do would like to see the economy returned, open um, and, um, you know, Donald Trump's job rating, for example, on the economy is better than other places. He, uh, on the, being the most important issue, the economy is really number one. We ask people what, what they care about most, but um, that's not carried over to the ballot. And so um, I think part of this is that there's, there, um, you know, people want to be able to do both. They want to be able to, um, you know, have the economy reopen, but do so safely. And the challenge with not doing so, not wearing masks and not controlling the spread of the virus is that you can't do it safely and people get that. Well, you're right. And I, I think what we've seen is if people are not safe and it spikes, then we're even more likely to have to shut down more and quarantine. So that middle ground where people actually wear the masks and social distance and we have uh, businesses open is where most public health officials want it to be because there is is that tension. You know, I know the typical question before an election is, are you better off than you were four years ago? How is Trump scoring in that realm? Well, it's really interesting here, and this is what we spoke of, shared sacrifice and people desperately wanting unity and, and a country that is um, um, you know, together in, in coronavirus and also just in general. And you're seeing this play out here uh, with the country because people really understand that things are not where they should be with the country. So when you ask people, how, how are things for you and your family compared to four years ago? You have a majority who are saying, yes, things are better. I'm better off. We're better off. My family is better off by 50 or 34%. But then when you say, tell me about the country, they're saying by 58% to 38%, no, the country is not better off. Things are worse off. And 
what's happening here is that voters are, um, you know, are, are more concerned about the country. They're, they're putting country first in terms of their voting. There is, there's a 15% group of the public who are saying that the, their family is better off. The country is not worse, is worse off rather. And this is a group that, um, you would say, okay, maybe they're, they're cross pressured swing voters, but no, by 26 points, they're voting for Joe Biden. And that's a sense of country first and that, um, yeah, I may be doing better off as a country. We have a lot of work to do and, and we are not better off than we were. You know, I, I like hearing that because I think the sense that we're all part of a, a community is one of the uh, differentiators here and that you want everyone to to move ahead, not just yourself. And, uh, you know, in some in some uh, conversations, that's really become a focus of are we are we thinking about everyone rising because our kids go to school with everyone. We participate with everyone in the gyms that we're in. Our businesses include people from all walks of life. So we'd like to see everyone feel better, not just those people who probably have a lot of money in the stock market, those people whose businesses happen to be thriving in this environment. I say, I think you're right. I think people are seeing and, and a heart is showing in terms of what people want from the from the country. What about on the social justice side? You alluded to that before. Uh, Trump seems to have again played to his base and really believes that uh, enough has been done on social justice. I was quite surprised when by executive order, he said none of the government entities should be doing uh, unconscious bias training mm-hmm. or racial uh, insight training. Uh, my daughter is general counsel for a large nonprofit here in Los Angeles. And so they had to stop that training or reclassify it in another way because of their uh, federal funding. What do you see in the social justice arena in terms of people's feelings about Trump's attitudes versus Biden's? Well, look, since George Floyd's death, there's really been a sea change in attitudes on uh, social justice, awareness of racial inequalities and the need for real, meaningful uh, reform, uh, police reform. And we see this in a number of ways, support for the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, uh, ratings for, for w- among white voters have increased and have stayed pretty steady uh, since, since then. And, you know, this is one of these, these issues that really does play to the minority of Trump's base, but not to the rest of the country. And in fact, it, it reinforces the concern, that, which is the top concern that voters have about, about Donald Trump, is that he'll divide the country rather than uniting it. And over and over again, we hear in focus groups uh, and in open-ended questions when we ask people what they're looking for and what message they want to send, they want, they want to come together as a country. They are tired of the division. And Donald Trump's message here is is just another example of uh, the division that Americans don't want. Right. I, it's interesting, again, that he's not necessarily listening to what we are hearing as the majority. Uh, what about age differences? You see younger people even being more adamant that we come together and not seeing color in the way that it's seen by older folks. I think that I think that certainly is true to a certain extent. Um but I think you are seeing this. This is not just unique for um, for younger people. Is that there really is a desire um, that that we're seeing across groups in a way that we may not have previously. Uh, that um, you know, we really uh, people are tired of the vision. So uh, to the to the degree of how how much change people are up for, um, that is you know a little bit of a different. Uh, question, but in terms of the understanding that we do need to change as a country, um, that, um, you know, I think is something that we're 
uh, seen really across the board, whether it's young people or older people. Yeah, I think it's something that everybody wants, as you said, whether or not we'll they'll all be accepting of the changes that are made is going to be interesting. And there's been a lot of debate around, you know, uh, how the police departments operate and what the rules are, how, how bias is um, treated, uh, particularly in, in law and order and uh, the justice system. That's going to be an interesting discussion, you know, as we, as we, depending upon obviously who comes into, uh, into the office. Uh, we think about Kamala Harris and she has a background in law enforcement as a prosecutor that will certainly appeal to some people, but she has to walk a fine line. Can you share any uh, indication of what happened when they announced Kamala Harris as the vice presidential candidate? Did that bump up Biden in any way or were there detractors? You know, I I think it helped a little bit. I think it helped probably more with with Democratic core constituencies uh, and kind of saying who Joe Biden is and uh, where he wants to take the country. I don't know um, that it really changed the race in a meaningful way. Uh, I think, again, as we talked about up front, this is really a referendum on Donald Trump. And, um, you know, I don't know that, uh, you know, a vice presidential pick would have uh, moved things one way or another. I think it would have been someone like a Sarah Palin who there would have been really open questions about, okay, is she qualified Mm -hmm. uh, to do the job, Uh, particularly given both Donald Trump's and Joe Biden's age and their uh, and concerns about both of their physical uh, states, um, that would have caused some concerns. But I don't, I don't think anyone would question Kamala Harris's qualifications or experience. Right. But I agree with you. I don't think she made a big shift in Republicans' minds. And uh, needless to say, hopefully she cemented the views of some uh, Democrats and their, their, their uh, compassion and uh, and uh, tenacity and seriousness for Biden. You know, we, we watched those elections thinking they were going to make a difference. But I, I've read enough to show that or to see that people say debates don't really make a big difference in terms of how people feel. Did you see any movement from this last debate where Trump was more civil? So not so much in the last debate. Uh, I do think the first debate really... Uh, you know, solidified in people's minds a lot of what they did not like about Donald Trump. And it really turned people off, sort of the bullying, the temperament, um, the, you know, kind of not following the rules, those mm-hmm. sorts of things. And I think, look, right after we went into the, into the field, uh, right after that debate, and that we had our largest leader, Joe Biden, at 14 points. Um, and so I think that first debate said something. I think, you know, now after the second debate, he's, you know, Biden's still up 11 points, which was still higher than he had been previously. So, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, at the, at the margins, the second debate may have helped, um, Trump a little bit, but, um, not in a meaningful way, and not as much damage as the first debate did. Not as much damage as the first debate. Well, there's a good lesson there for uh, future politicians, right, and and uh, and civil behavior. Let's go back to uh, COVID-19 as we move through this election cycle. Uh, unfortunately, COVID-19 will still be a serious threat, to serious consideration, especially as we see spiking of incidents in the uh, Midwestern states and we move into cold weather where people will be closer to each other and unfortunately may be more likely to infect others. We are also looking for a vaccination 
And I know you've been polling on what percentage of Americans say they would take a vaccine as soon as they can. Fill us in on that. Yeah, well, this is one of the more concerning numbers in our poll. And it's, it actually it goes back to the first time we asked the mask question, too, and how disheartening the results were there, how partisan it was. And again, when you're facing a public health crisis, you can't afford to have this become a political uh, football, for, for lack of a better phrase there. And uh, sadly, it, it has. And so we know that when, when there is a vaccine that, is, that, 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 that works, we'll, we'll need to have 70, 80 percent or more of the public taking us to have, you know, to sort of herd immunity the right way, which is a vaccine. And uh, we ask people, all right, when there is a vaccine available, tell us where you're going to fall into. Uh, take it as soon as we as, as it's available. Wait until it's available for a while to see if there are some side effects. Uh, eventually take it only if required or will not take the vaccine. And only 20% of Americans say they'll take it as soon as they can. 51% say that they'll wait. So that gets you to 71% who hopefully sometime soon would take the vaccine. But you have another 27%, almost 30%, who are saying uh, only if required or, or I simply won't take it. And that's not going to work uh, if we're going to really beat the virus uh, and, and stop it uh, to have that many people who say they're not going to do it. And the, the concerning thing is that this is, again, a place where we see division. So uh, among Democrats, 16% of Democrats fall into that, um, you know, only if required or will not take the vaccine group. That is 36% for, Demo for Republicans, rather. So um, really facing sort of a challenge there and, uh, and, and, and looking ahead when there is a vaccine. You know, what'll be interesting is uh, the, the kind of messaging that leads up to the vaccination coming out. Uh, being in the communications business, we know how we can inform and educate people and shift their attitudes. I think there's a lot of uncertainty about the quality and the caliber of the research for the vaccine. So, you know, knowing there are strong communications people who will be involved in having those companies share their data, getting multiple scientists and doctors to endorse the legitimacy of the research, including, of course, Dr. Fauci. I think you're being, you'll begin to see a shift in people's willingness to take the vaccine, especially if it's linked to things going back to somewhat normalcy. Right. If you connect it to a, a benefit in your life, people are much more likely to adjust their attitudes. Sure. I totally agree. And you'll be watching this and monitoring this, I assume, as we move past the election. Right. We definitely will be. What are some other hot topics that you'll be monitoring up after the election? Well, I think the question is when the when is after the election? And that's one of the things we'll be watching is that uh, I think we should all be prepared uh, to, you know, to to be patient here um, in this election. And I think, you know, the vaccine response to COVID is very important, but also, um, you know, how the votes come in, making sure the votes are counted are, are critically important uh, aspects of what we'll be watching uh, before let, we get it. Let me ask you a quick question about that. Uh, to what extent do Americans feel that the election is somehow rigged? And if it's probably a separate question, to what extent do people feel mail-in ballots are legitimate? Well, this is another place where there is polarization. I think it's a real, it's going to be a real challenge for uh, those in the media to report on this in a fair and accurate way, particularly when, um, you know, we have a president who is so in discord and just trying to uh, dis throw questions about ma mail ballots, even though he himself votes by mail 
and that there's no real evidence of widespread voter fraud by mail. Uh, but that we need to be, be watch for this and how it come, how the vote comes in because we're going to face a challenge on election night where uh, we're going to see one result for those who voted early by mail, which will be uh, probably uh, you know three to one almost for Joe Biden, and then the reverse or close to it for those who are voting on election day, and so or two to one for for Trump on election day. So uh, it's going to be a real challenge, and we should be patient. Are people? Are most people believing that mail-in ballots are legitimate, or is there a predisposition to expect them to be illegitimate in some way? I think generally people are concerned about the accuracy of vote counting, and it depends on who you are based on uh, you know the accuracy of voting by mail versus uh, voting in person. And again, this is another example where the, the partisan divisions have emerged on something like voting, which should not be uh, a, a partisan issue at all, just like wearing a mask uh, and just like getting a vaccine. So uh, we all have work to do to convince our friends and neighbors to be patient, let all the votes be counted. And uh, we'll see We'll see when, when we have a winner, but it may take a little while. It may take good advice, Jeff. Thank you so much for sharing the insights with us. And uh, it does look like there's been a plan to uh, uh, deliberately set ourselves up for a difficult and long night on, uh, on the election night and a few days after to get it all settled. But I'm looking forward to seeing the results and uh, we'll be glad to have you back on the show again once the results have come through. Thank you for sharing the NBC Wall Street Journal uh, information and we'll continue to read the polls. Uh, thank you, Jeff Horwood. Thank you all for listening to The Deciders with Renee Frazier. This is produced by Fraser Communications. We're a full-service advertising, marketing, and communications firm. You can find us at FraserCommunications.com. And our shows are available as podcasts at FraserCommunications.com. Thank you for listening. Have a safe week ahead. And please follow those safety restrictions so that we can mitigate the impact of COVID-19. Have a wonderful week ahead. Mm-hmm.